Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So it's actually kind of nice that we're able to sit together on the first of January, the beginning of the year, 2012. It seems like a high number. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know if this is a sign of you know, me being like old now, that uh, it seems like years are passing relatively quickly, like more quickly. And uh, I think it does have something to do with age. Um, I was spending time with my family on the East Coast, including a number of nieces and nephews who are little kids. And, uh, we do what many people do, like you know, mark their, their height on a door frame, you know, and see how they grow. And they're always stretching for that next, you know, inch or corner inch, or stretching to be taller than uh, the kid is like a little bit younger than them, or, or the, to be as tall as the one older. And uh, you know, it seems like at that age, it seems like well, third grade is taking forever, you know, <laughs> like, you know just like the years like stretching on. And I'm not, when am I going to be four feet tall? Like I want to be four feet so badly, and you know, <laughs> um, like I want to be nine. Like you know, something great's going to happen. You know, like that. Uh, and then you know, it seems like this, uh, there's a sense for me of like the, the speed of the years going faster, or something like that. Uh, and it's a good time to stop and reflect on the New Year, you know, these, little, these junctures that we have about our lives and about the direction of our lives, um, about what's in the center of our lives, um, about what we're up to, really. So that's what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today. Uh, and as part of also continuing with our exploration of the Eightfold Path that we've been doing uh, from last year, I can say now last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, today I want to focus on the piece of the Eightfold Path that is on um, why is livelihood or right livelihood? And uh, what does that mean, too? So, we've already covered um, some of the, uh, but four of the other links on the pack. So, we started with wise view. So, understanding wise view, right view, skillful view, which is, uh, we did one part that was about karma, about cause and effect, understanding cause and effect uh, in the world, in our lives. And then I'm talking about the Four Noble Truths, so about the uh, dukkha that exists, strain, stress, suffering, difficulty, about its causes, uh, about the possibility of liberation from that, and the path there, which is the beautiful path itself. Then we talked about wise intention, so cultivating intentions of compassion, of loving kindness, of generosity and renunciation in our lives. And we talked about um, wise effort. So what is the effort it takes to actually cultivate that? So pay attention to what arises in our heart, and if it's skillful, wholesome, uh, cultivate that along, understanding the causes and conditions for that, and trying to bring those into our lives more. Also noticing when something that is uh, unskillful, unwholesome arises. So uh, cruelty, or aggression, or uh, greed, and understanding more and more what the causes are for that, and trying to work with that in our life to uh, let go of those causes, and let go of those when they arise. And then uh, this livelihood fits in the section about uh, sila, or about ethical conduct. So that includes what we already covered about uh, wise action. Uh, so wise action is basically the uh, first degree of the training precepts that are offered for lay people. So to uh, the kind of uh, bright line ones about them are to avoid killing, avoid destroying life, uh, but then the bigger version of that is to uh, pay attention to our relationship to life, to protecting life, to not harming others. Second one is around uh, avoiding taking what's not offered or stealing. And then the bigger version of that is just paying attention to our relationship to objects and to resources and uh, to how much we use or take and uh, our, our relationship to that, including generosity and renunciation. The third one around um, paying attention to how we use sexuality in the world. So paying attention to our actions in the area of sexuality and also even how sexual energy is used. So not doing that in a way that's harmful to others, that causes uh, harm to ourselves or others. Uh, and then in a more positive way, you consider actually uh, using this very powerful force in a wholesome, in a positive way in our life. And then the 
separate four separate categories have wide speech. So we can invent the wide speech, so to uh, avoiding saying what's false, so speaking the truth. Uh, but also there's more than just speaking the truth. So uh, speaking the truth when it's uh, the right time, when it's uh, useful, in the right context, avoiding speaking harshly or abusively, so using your tongue as a weapon to slice and dice people, and to avoid uh, gossip, slander, things, the same things that will uh, break people apart, uh, and also avoiding uh, idle chatter, so unnecessary speech, so paying attention to how much we actually talk and when is it useful and when is it not, and what's up with when we're not uh, doing that. So then the remaining ones are about um, mindfulness and concentration, which we'll cover in the subsequent weeks. And then today I want to cover about um, livelihood. So uh, this doesn't get as uh, top billing in Buddhist teachings, I should say. You know, usually people come, particularly in the United States, and they're interested in meditation and the mindfulness, the concentration. But uh, a lot of the Buddhist teachings were very uh, applicable to lay people in their regular life. So if you uh, get a chance to read or hear some of his teachings, they're always in a certain context. So sometimes you're talking to people who are monks, nuns, uh, who are kind of full-time uh, practitioners uh, and who have taken on a renunciate life. But other times he's actually talking to lay people, or he's talking to um, kings or rulers, or he's talking to people who uh, have to engage in the world, or who have kids, or who have families, and all of that. Uh, so he gave very practical advice around these kinds of things. So the whole focus of the path uh, is kind of back to the, the wise view thing about uh, understanding dukkha, understanding the causes of that, and finding the way to eradicate that. So another way of um, talking about this, which I think I mentioned in the beginning, uh, about the Dharma, is that the Dharma is just the truth of the way things are. So it's how things are in reality, which we don't always perceive. And as we actually align ourselves more and more with the way things are, then we actually are able to live a much more happy and harmonious life. Uh, a happy and harmonious life for ourselves, as well as uh, have a more happy and harmonious relationship with others. So all of these uh, teachings are in the context of, of the truth of the way things are. And the truth of the way things are is something that also is available for all of us to see, to pay attention to, to notice, uh, and then thus to align ourselves with more and more. So all of this, these teachings are for us to investigate and to see for ourselves. Like, well, what's really true? Does this make sense to me? Uh, try it out in your life. You know, basically, like, check it out. Come and see, as I say, uh, in the, the poly about it. So our livelihood is connected with uh, wise action, wise speech, wise view. So all of these teachings of the Eightfold Path, um, as I described them before, they aren't like, you know, take this step and then check that off and take the next step. But they're actually connected. You know, it's kind of more like an eight-sided thing and they're all kind of crisscrossing across in it. So the main uh, piece about livelihood could be covered like rather quickly, which is just to avoid engaging in livelihood. Uh, that will have you do unwholesome, unskillful actions. So uh, he, the Buddha actually named specific actions, which are specific to livelihoods, you know, occupations. Uh, which were particular at the time, uh, some of which still exist and some of which may be less uh, applicable, for us to avoid. And they want to avoid basically because when you engage in that occupation, you're habitually uh, breaking one of the training precepts. So you're basically um, going against harmony with the way things are. Like your job is actually to kill, for example. So avoid occupations in which your job is to kill. <laughs> uh, so, uh, of course, that means uh, killing. Uh, like assassin or something like that, right? <laughs> um, but also dealing in weapons. So avoid dealing in weapons was one recommendation. So like arms dealers, you know. So even though you're not in that case, you're like, oh, well, I'm just telling you that. I don't know what they're going to do with this, but you know, it's not a thing, right? But still, you're actually facilitating something happening that will be harming uh, other living beings. Similarly, also uh, one of the occupations that was uh, mentioned to avoid is. Uh, occupations that engage in dealing with dealing dealing in humans, so basically treating humans like objects and dealing in them. So that includes slavery uh, or prostitution. Uh, so in those occupations in which basically people are treated like commodities and are um, bought, sold, or uh, loaned out in ways that are harmful to them. Right? 
also, you know, because the Dharma, uh, Dharma teachings um, consider all living things, so also like actually considering animals. So it's also recommended to avoid uh, being a butcher or dealing in uh, production of meat. So if you actually have to habitually kill animals as your job, that's considered like uh, not why why we it's not it's not good for individuals. It's obviously not good for the animals, right? And they're dying, but actually it's not as good for uh, your own development too, to be habitually engaged in killing as a, like your main occupation in life. Avoid dealing in poisons. So again, it's kind of like with weapons. So uh, dealing things that uh, cause harm, damage to people. Uh, and then to avoid occupations in which you're uh, creating an intoxicant also. So uh, they have different intoxicants than we do now, but they have, did have some, so fermented beverages, etc. Um, and that is one of the, the usual training precepts is to also uh, avoid uh, taking in these, these intoxicants that will cloud your mind and thus uh, not allow you to manifest your best self and to actually uh, live the way that you would like to live, live in harmony with the uh, ethical, uh, ethical behavior. Uh, so actually also it's recommended that you avoid being someone who deals in toxins. So that could include being a uh, bartender actually. Right? So actually uh, selling or giving up such things to people too. Right? So you, know, you can just consider all of these because many of these of these occupations still exist and some of them it may be obvious. Like of course prostitution and slavery, that's not, you know, that's clearly like not a good occupation to be engaged in. But uh, you know, you might think like bartender, like oh, you know, it's up to people's, you know, so these are the adults, maybe you know, they're choosing, like, is that really wrong, is that bad, what's wrong with that? Right. But I think the focus is really a, a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, there, there's actually no prohibition against, like, earning wealth. So there, there's nothing that says, like, oh, it's bad to be rich and it's good to be poor. Right. Although, like, the people who uh, choose to go into the monastic life, there's definitely, like, a very high bar of renunciation in the tradition. You know, they actually get rid of all their positions, get rid of all of their money, don't touch money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, which is basically around simplifying your life and uh, basically going for it in terms of mind training, like cutting out <coughs> all extraneous uh, activities. But for us as lay people, you know, it's uh, understood that if you have to keep up the house, that you have to uh, buy clothes and food and tend a family and all this stuff, and uh, you have to make money in some way in order to do that usually. So uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that, and there's actually nothing wrong even with um, making a lot of money. What your relationship then is to that amount of money, or like how you deal with that, or if, you know, are you generous with it, or um, how you're using that is something to pay attention to. But there's nothing like inherently wrong with earning a living or uh, you know being in the world or having a job. But you have to pay attention to like how am I earning my living? So what am I actually doing? In my and this is one of the things I was reflecting on when, you know, it seems like time is passing quickly is that, uh, you know, as Americans particularly, we spend probably the most amount of time in our working life in our jobs. So, uh, you know, you go home and then you interact with your family or your partner, you know, for some amount of time and then you sleep and then you should get up and go back to the job, right? <laughs> so that's kind of how it sets it up. So it actually is a very important part of our life and thus our spiritual development and our whole, you know, looking at the whole picture to pay attention to, like, well, what are we actually doing in that long time that we're spending in our jobs? Yeah. So there's many dimensions to it. So one is this broader dimension, like, well, what is the whole gist of the job? So if it's around killing, if it's around, you know, treating people or different things like that, that's uh, clearly, like, not, uh, not the best way to spend much time. Yeah. But then there's kind of more nuance under that. So, you know, in the Buddha's time, for example, you know, there weren't computer programmers, right? So there were no computers, so there were no, you know, a lot of the occupations we have now, like a lot of the occupations in this room, in fact, were still in existence. So we have to sort of apply uh, with our own wisdom as best we can to, like, what is the job that we're doing? So they both is like, what is the job that we're doing, broadly speaking? But then there's, like, a couple of different dimensions of that, too. So within that, you could consider also, like, well, what's the effect of the job that I'm doing? So, for example, uh, tech stuff. Right? Like, you could uh, be working in, uh, you could be like a, a programmer or something like that, uh, and you could be using your skills to uh, create create uh, technology that does something that's good or that's neutral, or you could also be related to one of these industries, right? Like uh, weapons, or uh, in some way in 
poison. So, uh, you know, like it could be related to something that is uh, non-recommended activity. And, you know, it's interesting to think about this because, like, say with programming or something like that, like coding is coding, you could say, right? So it's not like you're killing something when you're coding. Usually you're sitting there quietly, like, moving your fingers, thinking, moving your fingers, thinking, right? Uh, so you're not slaughtering, right? But then if you kind of look down the road, you're like, well, what's the effect of the thing that I'm doing? Um, like, what is, what is my activity in the world supporting? Like, my precious human life, you know, there's a lot of talk in this, the Buddhist teachings about, you know, paying attention to your life. Like, you have this one life, you're born, it does go relatively fast, right? Like, what am I doing with my precious human life? Like, where is that energy going? And, you know, it's easy to sit around and criticize other people uh, who we don't have control over about what, how they're spending their human life, but, you know, the one you have the most influence over is actually, you know, yourself, of course. So just, you know, keep an eye out for, like, well, what am I doing? Like, where is my effort actually going? I think there are a lot of um, different um, occupations that are actually uh, really wholesome, clearly wholesome and helpful and good, right? And then there are a lot that are kind of like neutral, like it's actually a relatively good thing, you know? So it's like everything in this room, everything in, you know, that you're wearing uh, has taken a lot of human activity to be created, right? So like all of our clothes, so human beings were involved in making those. Even if it was in a factory or something like that, there's probably people involved with the machines, and then with the shipping of that, and then in stores, like sales, whatever. Uh, also, even in like, uh, you know, this wooden podium, right? So a lot of different, you know, someone cut down the trees, and then that, that lumber was transported, and then it was like cleaned down, whether that was a factory or a carpenter, and then put together. So there's people involved in all of those those areas. So we have like some, we have some nice snacks here, and that's the table, some leftovers from the potluck. So of course, all the food in the world takes a, a bunch of human energy and effort to bring up the food here. So if someone plants the seeds, or someone harvests it, uh, then someone cleans it, someone uh, packages it, someone transports it, someone puts it in the store, right? So there's always this human activity in like everything that's here. And particularly when you reflect on the fact that like, everything, as soon as it takes birth, everything already is starting to decay. You know, it's like, it takes birth and then grows and decays. So then, even the upkeep of everything takes effort. So the upkeep of this building, right? Like, cleaning the building and fixing it up, and, uh, you know, those of you who own any, um, possession, whether it's like a bicycle or a car or a home, you know, like, things are always falling apart, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, everything's like constantly takes to be falling apart. Uh, so you constantly have to attend to things and fix them and you know, stuff like that. Uh, I noticed this when I went back um, to my parents' house and, uh, over the holidays also because they're getting older and so they don't can't do as much themselves. So then my brother and I were like going around trying to fix all these different things, like this table, the leg is wobbly, and then you know this uh, piece of the door is leaning off, and then this and that, and, and then figuring out like what we can actually fix, what we need. we don't have the skill to fix, we'll like mess it up worse so we can get someone else to fix. Right? Um, but it's kind of right, like there's a lot of uh, human activity required for just basic living stuff. There's actually another reason why not to fix. It can be better not to accumulate a lot of unnecessary possessions because all of those possessions seem to require, at the very least, like dusting and cleaning and tending, right? Uh, not to mention that they're constantly like falling apart in some way or another, right? Too. So. Uh, so that may be my bias in that day. You can see if that's true or not. My obligation and my own life. Right? Uh, so, so people do all these different things, and you know, making the shirts like, uh, you know, you can say like, oh, some, you think about like what you think is a very noble profession, like right rather than like, or someone who's like a, a cancer doctor or something, or someone who um, uh, looks after small children or something like that. So that's you know, great, right? But even like making clothes and stuff, that's an important thing, and you know. It's important that we have clothes that keeps us warm and it's like, a good thing to do. Right? Uh, so it could be neutral or it could be also positive. So if you consider also in the particular job you have, you know, is this basically wholesome, unwholesome activity? And then also like, well, how am I engaging with this? So what is my workplace like? So every, every workplace is kind of like a small community. It's kind of like its own country and culture. So another of my um, work activities has been to be a consultant. So I kind of have gone to different organizations and seen how they work. And they really are like small kingdoms, right? Like each organization. And if you think about different places you've worked, and there's a certain hierarchy, and there's a certain kind of belief system, and there's a 
way that people interact with each other. There are certain rules, spoken and unspoken, about how people can talk to each other or deal with conflict, uh, about um, who gets to decide things, uh, about what kinds of things get to fly or not, about how much slack people get, uh, or how compassionate it is, like all that stuff, right? So there's kind of the, the overall, like, well, what is the job that inherently, you know, wholesome and wholesome? But then also there's some, like, well, how am I engaging with this? Like, what is this? of culture like in which I'm working, in which I'm spending so much of my time. And is that actually positive or does it seem to have a, a not so positive effect on my uh, practice, my development of my mind, my heart? And even if the answer comes up like it's not so positive, then it's like, oh, well, could I have any influence on that in some way? Is there any way that I could possibly uh, have a more positive influence? So there's no work that's necessarily like better or um, worse except for the ones in which you're like habitually doing something uh, that is unwholesome, like killing or treating people or stuff like that. But there's a lot of leeway with a lot of other things and like how you manifest that. So you can think about like how you've encountered people like maybe in the store or even like a cab driver or uh, someone who sells you something in a deli or something like that. And there can be a big difference between how people engage in the work. Like how much people are able to pay attention to the person in front of them, uh, to how kind they are when they're engaging with you in that way, uh, to how uh, in, like, clean and uncomfortable the place is if you're uh, working or if you're engaging as a customer. Right? Uh, so it's good to think about all this stuff too. Like how am I engaging in this? Right? Like what's much my way of engaging with uh, work too? So in, the, in uh, Zen Buddhism, there's a uh, kind of focus on work uh, within the, the uh, monasteries, and the cook is actually considered like a very high, uh, like a very important job in the monastery, the cook, right? uh, and paying attention to, to cooking, right? and how you do that, and doing that with mindfulness too. Um, but everything is considered also important. So sweeping, you know, when sweeping, just sweep, like do that completely wholeheartedly. Uh, if you're gardening, like just garden, like completely wholeheartedly garden. So this kind of counters the advice that, um, or even the habit that some of us have about how we engage. Uh, so I remember seeing an episode of The Simpsons, a modern, uh, modern American philosopher, in which uh, there's some problem at the power plant in which Homer works. <laughs> and um, then, uh, you know, Lisa, his precocious daughter, says, uh, Dad, you should go on strike. Like, that's the American way when things are not fair, you should go on strike. And he says, no, Lisa, that's not the American way. The American way is to keep going to work and do a really half-assed job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a, it's, it's, the sense of, like, it's funny and also there's, like, a little bit of truth in that, where, you know, uh, like, we can get used to that. It's just like, ah, oh, this thing is kind of annoying me and the way this is happening is kind of annoying to me. But instead of doing it, I'll just, like, disengage more and more. Right? And we can do that in our job. We can do that in our relationships. We can do that with our family, right? And sometimes, you know, sometimes a little disengagement is good, but it's good to pay attention to um, what is my habit in these relationships that I have and the work that I'm doing, particularly because that's how we spend so much of our time. Uh, I tell you one book that I was doing the book shop, the, the title of which um, I like, which is uh, How You Do Anything is How You Do Everything. Yeah. So it's like noticing, like, what is my pattern? Like, what is my habit in how I engage, like, with my work? And, and just keeping an eye out for that. And if you find yourself kind of getting more and more disengaged with your work, it's like, just pay attention, like, why is that? It's like, what's going on, you know? Is it like I'm bored with it? Is it like there's something going on in the way people deal with each other that I don't like and that actually is kind of toxic and I should either deal with that or decide this is not a good place for me? Um, you know, like paying attention to yourself in this way. So actually bringing that sense of mindfulness to noticing. So it's kind of like actually with the other kids, it's like noticing, oh, the kid doesn't want to go to school. Like, what's going on with that kid? Right? Like, is someone bullying them? Are they just like, like not learning? Is it hard for them? What's going on? Right? And then trying to understand and then work with that. So similarly with yourself, if you notice yourself with your work, it's like not being engaged in some way or hitting it or, you know, like pay attention to that. Notice, like, what's going on there? Uh, and you're trying to have, like, uh, you can have high aspirations for how you actually try to spend your life. So that being said, like, relationship with work is just like a relationship with anything. So there's kind of ups and downs in a relationship with anything. 
relationship with your home, relationship with your body. So it's not like um, every day has to be like this amazing, beatific, you know, incredible thing, right? Like there's some days in which you feel tired, you feel like, oh, I wish I didn't have to go in, right? And there's some days in which you feel great about it, maybe. Yeah. So it's not like it has to be all ten all the time, because here is some star that's hard to uh, <laughs> hard to look nationally all the time. But just noticing the like, trends of like how I'm relating to this, what is it like there? So work can also be a very um, uh, important part of our spiritual practice. And the, the Benedictine that you say that to work is to pray. Uh, in Latin it says labor, laborare est orare. So what would that be like if your work was actually your prayer? Yeah. Or as Rumi says, like, yeah, there's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Like your work was actually your prayer in some way. Uh, and that could be anything. Like it doesn't have to be some like highfalutin thing that you do. Like it could actually be coded. Like what if that was something that you were able to completely engage in? Bring your whole self to. And I think that we all want that in some way. You know, like like we want that uh, to be the case. Like we would like to have this sense of unification. Uh, work is very important to us. I think Freud also said, you know, when asked, what is the what is the definition of a normal healthy human being? And he said, you know, someone who can love and who can work. So he's able to engage in those two different areas. So work is like, well, what is the work that we're doing, and how can we engage in that? What is it that my activity is? So we're all different people, and different things are engaging to us. We have different talents, we have different uh, gifts, we have different temperaments, and. Uh, I feel like part of the engagement with this sense of like livelihood and finding something in which you can fully engage is developing this sense of self-awareness about yourself, about what you have to offer, and then kind of matching that in the world in some way. So I'll tell you a story related to um, a planet <coughs> that hopefully will illustrate this. So at one point I got a, uh, I went to a new apartment and I was given a, some plants as a gift. And this one was a very beautiful plant and it had uh, kind of very delicate leaves with sort of silvery white uh, lines in it. And uh, I didn't know so much about plants, but I was excited about my new plants, so I hung them up in the window and then um, tried to water them off them. And most of them did quite well, but this one that I had uh, described to um, was not doing so well. So it started to die. It seemed to be getting worse and worse, actually. So then I thought, well, I'll just water it more. That's mm-hmm. probably need more water, get more water. Uh, and well, maybe it doesn't like that spot, I could put it more sunlight, I could put it over here, so it continues slowly dying. And then finally someone gave me a plant book in which I saw that this was a particular kind of plant that actually you know, described like it likes being in uh, uh, closed containers, like sort of a uh, terrarium-like thing. Uh, you don't actually have to water it very much, like you actually just have to put like a little bit of water in and then it kind of circulates around there, so it likes like this kind of moist environment kind of thing. Um, and it likes very little light. Like, it likes being away from the light. Like, it's, uh, like it's, you know, if it's in any place that it's more um, light than that you can, like, barely read a newspaper, like, it's too much light for it. <laughs> so that's why I was dying. So at this point, there's, like, one leaf left in the thing. Uh, four plants. So, I, you know, I, I pulled that one up, cut it, and I put it into a little Gaston glass, um, glass thing. And then, you know, it describes how to make it fair. You put some rocks in the bottom, and then you put some soil. And then just water it once and then put a little lid on it and then do nothing. So it actually is much easier than what I was doing. I was like spraying it, watering it, moving it around. Uh, and the thing actually thrived. Like it totally thrived. Like it just grew and grew and it popped the lid off. And then, um, you know, I made clippings. Then I got into the terrarium. And so then, I, like, in any jar I had, I would make a mini terrarium. <laughs> put the clippings in. And I'd give all my friends got these little jars. And, uh, and it just thrived. And, yeah, I think the metaphor is like to understand like well what kind of plant am I? You know, like like what are the conditions in which I will thrive? Like what are the conditions of of, of life that I need, uh, including around the work, you know, around work or in relationships or in these different areas of my life. Um, and then once you can kind of understand that, uh, to try it the best you can, you know, within the circumstances of your life to actually provide that for yourself, and thus then allow yourself to thrive in that way. And it might actually be even easier than what you thought it was supposed to be, right? Like my relationship to the plant. It might also be different than all of the other people you know. So even if that person is like, oh, I need to make this much money, and I need to have this kind of environment, and I need to be with this kind of people for my work, right? Like you may or may not be the same kind of person. 
So, uh, you know, you don't get the plant books, but you get mindfulness, <laughs> is what basically what you have to pay attention to and to learn to understand uh, in yourself, like, well, what are the conditions of uh, my life and of my gifts, my talents, my interests, and try to uh, play that out. And of course, like, we're not, um, you know, static people, too. So it could be during one period of your life, like, it's like this, and then another period is like this, you know. Uh, but it, again, it's kind of similar to um, dealing with little kids. And I've been around little kids over the holidays and thinking about this a lot. It's like, uh, as they get older, you see, like, oh, they have this different temperament. And then, like, this one likes drawing, and, like, this one likes um, reading about science. And um, one of my nieces likes reading a lot of, like, history stuff. Like, uh, like I see very intense history about, like, the presidents and things like that. And, you know, things that I like, oh, really like reading. I see heaps that stuff up. Other ones doesn't want to read that at all, you know, like playing outside and climbing things. And, uh, so then, you know, if you're a good parent, like, you try to understand what the kid's temperament is and, you know, broadly help them to grow and learn, but also, like, encourage them in the areas that they like. Right? Like, oh, the kid likes to draw, like, oh, let's get some colored pencils, you know, whatever. Take them to an art class or uh, take them to uh, look at drawings or something. So similarly for yourself, like, to understand, well, what are the conditions of livelihood that are actually beneficial for me, that are helpful for me? Like, in what way can I actually positively contribute in the world? Because there are so many different things to do in the world, you know, so many different ways to contribute. Part of the sense of contribution to, I think, has to do with understanding and connecting with the sense of interconnection that we have. So some of people are kind of stumped and feel kind of stuck in, like, what they're up to. And again, as I said, like any any workplace, any occupation can actually be a positive one, can actually be like livelihood, I think, as long as it's not like habitually, you know, killing or harming living beings in some way. But it depends on sort of how you carry it up. What is your relationship to that? Your own attitude towards work. So kind of looking into what your attitude towards towards work is too. So also in the Hindu tradition, there's this tradition um, of karma yoga like uh, one of the yoga is actually work itself and you know the word karma there is about actually action and then you know that was in part of the uh, teaching about wise view about action and result so considering like well what is it that I'm doing habitually you know what is it that I'm doing habitually what seeds am I planting both in my own mind and heart and with my actions in the world so it's through interconnection broadly speaking so just look around if you're looking for like what can I engage with you know there are so many ways to engage in the world, and actually there's so much suffering. Uh, there's so much suffering to be alleviated. And there's so many new things to be invented that can be helpful to each other. There's so many things to be tended. There's just such a variety of ways to engage. So ideally, of course, work can be something that's rewarding to you, that gives you a sense of purpose, in which you can um, hopefully be of service in some way, a beneficial service in some way, uh, you can continue to learn, uh, definitely doing as, as little harm as possible. Uh, but also it can be an area in which you are cultivating your own mind and heart, in which you're actually able to engage in some way with the cultivation of your mind and heart uh, as you can. So you can consider this in your job too, is like how can I bring more mindfulness to my job, to my work that I'm doing? Um, how can I try and be more present in my work that I'm doing? Uh, and it could be about noticing intention, you know, like as you're dealing with people, if you have some kind of service job, like what is it like when I'm dealing with people, right? uh, Like what are my intentions when I'm there with people? Is it actually broadly of kindness or am I like, uh, you know, everyone's a pain in the neck and needs to be, you know, get through as many as possible? And the conditions of different jobs are different. Like I know people have been in fields in which uh, there's more and more pressure to serve more and more people. So then it makes it very difficult to maintain that sense of kindness, compassion, attention. But, like, you can decide if that's a priority for you, right? Make that a priority. Whether or not it's the priority of the system or the boss or the company, you know, make that the focus. So there's kind of like this game that's going on in the world and there's this sense of, like, here's what it's about, uh, which can be measured by, like, um, certain kinds of accomplishments, certain kinds of achievement or money or something like that. And then there's certainly like one veneer that it's important to pay attention to and to understand, and that's a dimension of uh, the real world, so to speak. But there also is always this other thing going on underneath. You know. There's always this, uh, so the cultivation of our mind and heart 
you know, what qualities are we actually cultivating? Like, how is our mind and heart developing in the habitual activities that we're doing in our life? And that's something that usually is not being focused on in your performance review or, you know, in the job description. So that's something that you actually need to bring yourself. Uh, and you can try and have fun with it, bringing that in. So one of the reflections that I wanted to offer to you is to consider, like, what is actually at the center of my life now? You know, so what is in the middle of, uh, of my life, the, the center point? So you can consider it sort of like if each of you have a mandala. So you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, they have these mandalas, they show these symbolic drawings of the universe. Right? And they're kind of these different levels. And I think there's a, a tiny painting, which is a little less elaborate, but still in the middle you see there's this point in, and then it's kind of around the side with different things, and there's a border and all this stuff. So like, what is in the center of my mandala of my life? And it's good to reflect on this because basically like, you kind of um, bumble through your life and then something is in the middle or something is in the middle or, you know, it's kind of like uh, what someone told you to be in the middle or what your boss thinks to be in the middle or, you know. Uh, so just to reflect for yourself, both now and later, like, well, what's, what's actually the focus? What's the center? Right? And is that something that I would like to be the focus on my life? Yeah, is that actually what I think would, should be the center? Like, what is most important to me about my life? And what is it that I would like to be there? And if you like to, you can actually draw this out. You know, like, so the mandala usually has like different things around the side. And, you know, you could have many different things in your mandala. Like maybe it could be like uh, your uh, work and your family and your health and. Uh, you know, different things like that. So, like, is there some guiding principle in the middle? You know, and if so, what is that? Uh, and it doesn't have to be, uh, like, enlightenment or something like that. Like, I think it should be, like, in your own words, like, what is actually important to me? Like, what feels like uh, my highest intention for what I would like in my life? Or what I, would, what I feel like life is about for me? Right? What would I have to develop? What would I like to do? <coughs> So just consider that someone. I'll give you a little bit of silence to, to think about that. Like, what's the center of my life? And is that something that I would like to have there? So then we consider also what it is that you would like to be in the center of that. Uh, it could be that there's some phrase or some intention that arises about uh, what would articulate that for you, whatever that is. So if it comes to you, then that's good. Or for some of you, you may maybe seem to like, I really don't know what's in the center of that. <laughs> that's also good. You could continue to reflect on that. Uh, and you can see if you come up with something that is sort of like a phrase or uh, some meaningful kind of uh, intention or motto, if you will. And for you at the start of the year, that would be a good one for you to remember. And, you know, again, it's 
uh, for a personal one, so whatever it is that resonates for you, and it could be about, uh, you know, coping the heart, or living fully, or being present, or, you know, I mean, anything really that's, like, uh, important to you. And you can actually use that as a way to continue, you know, during this year to actually solidify your intention around that, and to help remind yourself about the way that you want to be in your life, about what's important to you, you know, about how you want to develop. Uh, your artistic type, you can actually draw your own mandala, you know, and put that in the center. And if there's a phrase that comes to you, you could actually use that to uh, connect with that, you know, when, when you wake up or at the end of the day or something like that, you know, just to reconnect to that intention, uh, that highest intention. So let's go aside quickly. You know, one of the, um, uh, there's one uh, teaching in this, uh, they're saying, you know, the, the days and nights are going by so fast, they're flying by the days and nights. Like, how am I spending my time? Like, what is going on? Like, you can probably remember when you were a little kid, when I described that being in third grade, being in fourth grade, right? You can probably remember that time. Like, where did that go? Like, it's like gone. You know, it's gone, it's never coming back. And now you're this age, and then the next thing happens, and the next thing happens. And, uh, you know, we engage with our life and our lives with different degrees of awareness, right? Another interesting, actually, uh, reflection to do sometimes is to go back to your um, work history and actually look at your, you know, that could be in your resume or just kind of think about it and be like, oh, well, what was the focus of that job? Right? Like, was that actually why I was in it? Like, what was going on in that? Both in the job itself and then in the, you know, overall sort of culture of the work and how people treat each other and stuff. And so through a reflection, you know, your sort of life reflection on your sort of resume like that, like the ways that I engaged in work. Um, and for me, I started uh, doing babysitting and then my first paid job was an ice cream scooper. I scooped ice cream. Which, uh, people were usually very happy when they came into the ice cream. And, uh, so I liked doing that. Depending uh, on your feelings about sugar, you may or may not think that's uh, the best one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I thought it was a great job. Right? Um, and then, you know, on and on, like, to, like, just think about the different jobs that you've had and what that was like and uh, what was the folks who had done stuff and how you. Uh, with it. And for most of us, like, we kind of just fumble along, right? You know, you kind of, like, came in a different job, or, like, your family taught you something, or you happened upon someone, and, you know, hooked you up with something, or you applied for something, or you ran into, you know, it's very interesting to also reflect on this sort of path as it happens, right? Uh, and sometimes that's just the way things are, but I think it also is good for us to, as much as possible, engage with mindfulness, and try to make choices that are basically good for our own cultivation of our mind and heart, you know? Uh, as well as sort of as we go along, you know, figuring out more and more, you know, finding the, uh, finding or actually writing the manual about, like, well, what is the best condition for me? Like, what's the best way for me to contribute? Now, all people are not in a position to do this kind of, like, you know, some people are, like, stuck in one place in which, like, they're just doing something to get by and to get enough money and, like, you know, <coughs> it seems like a grandiose notion to think about some of this stuff. But still, I think we often have much more choice than we think, you know. Like, even people who are stuck in a certain situation financially or for different reasons, it's good to engage with the choices, to know you're making choices, and to uh, see those clearly, which, again, requires, like, mindfulness and just being very honest with yourself about what are the choices that I'm making around uh, my work? What are the choices that I'm making around uh, how I'm engaging with this? What are the choices I'm making around how I act in the workplace? What are the choices of my life? I know some people who feel, you know, trapped by a job because of um, how much money they're making, for example, right? But, uh, like, you have to really take a look at it and decide, like, uh, you know, is it the golden handcuffs? Is it the, or is it something that I'm making this choice consciously about this? Or is it something I have to do for a period of time, so then I'll do this and I'll try and do my best to engage with it in as wholesome a way as possible. So, like, you know, they're saying like any any kind of occupation, no matter how large or how small, you can engage in a very uh, positive way. You could be like the um, joyful plumber. You know, you could be like, you know, a person who's able to engage with that in a skillful way, to be honest in your dealings, right, to deal with people with respect, uh, and then actually make that part of your path of uh, growth and learning too. So both the reflections on livelihood and then also as we entered into 2012, like what's the focus of my life and what do I want that to be? So I have these reflections for you, Madonna. I'll see if there's any, uh, any questions or comments people want to make.
Yeah. Um, my only
decades, fifty years. So like my name is going on these things that like small children are having to like suffer to make. Right? Uh, so some of it is just like making ourselves safe. Like what is actually the implications of the thing that we're doing? And uh, I found I found a website recently that was like um, it's kind of an intense website, but I thought it was really interesting. Like about uh, how many slaves do you own? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I posted on my Facebook uh, page, and it made me go through a little quiz about like, like how many, um, what kind of electronic equipment you have, and like what do you eat, and you know all this different stuff. And then uh, you know basically there's um, studies of like how these different things got produced, and in different industries uh, in the world, like there still is like slavery or sort of indentured um, service or children engaged in work in ways that maybe like you yourself would never create a company like that, but sort of engaging in this is in some way like supporting that. Right? So then in the end of the quiz, it's like, you actually own 50 slaves who work for you in order to support your lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, like, you don't literally own them, but just a few steps away through interconnection, it's like, yeah, our actions have effects like this. Which is similar to, like, now people are becoming more aware with the environment, right? It's like, oh, like, our use of these things uh, creates these environmental effects. I saw someone with a bag today, a canvas bag that had a tree on it, and it was like, you know, this tree says thank you for using this bag. <laughs> using this bag has saved my life, or something like that, right? Uh, so just, you know, considering the impact, I think, in, uh, in different ways, too. <coughs> so also it's good to uh, consider your positive intentions for the year, also, right? Like, what, you know, both what is at the center of my life, too, but is there anything, any positive things that you want to learn, grow, develop, what are your aspirations for your practice for this year, or for this next period? Right? So I always get to take resolutions on that. Do you want to come to SFI class? Do you want to take the beginning class? <laughs> do I want to sit every day, you know, at home? Uh, do I want to read some Dharma books, like once a week? Uh, do I want to listen to something online? Uh, do I want to try and uh, do mental practice on the meetings mm-hmm. when going to work? You know. So just consider also, like, for your own uh, aspirations for. You know, if a year seems like too big, you have to bite off to say like for the month or something, or for the week, you know, like what do I want to try and do? So it's a good time to develop those aspirations too. So we'll come to the end of our time now for reflection. So let's let's sit together for a moment. There are questions from our topic. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate